Well, good morning. It is awesome to be with you, all my friends in uh, Plano and Fort Worth and Frisco and right here in Dallas and folks that are watching online. This is an amazing time to be together, and I am really excited about the series that we're beginning here in 2019 that we're going to study together. We're doing a series called How He Built This, and we're going to talk about the fact that Watermark is a community of people that has not always existed in amazing structures off of 75 up there between Spring Valley and Legacy, right off I-30 there at Cherry Lane, um, and not off the tollway up there right by Frisco High School or off 635 here in Dallas. We are not a, a community of friends that have always had these kind of facilities. And I think it's easy to turn off the tollway or 635 or I-30 or 75 and assume that you're pulling into this uh, monolith of uh, a box church that just wants to process people through here and get folks to show up on the weekend. And what we're really about is getting you to come back and listen to us online and you couldn't be further from the truth. You need to know that 20 years ago, we're about to start our 20th year of ministry together as friends here in this Metroplex area and around the world. And it's amazing. It's amazing to think about what God has done these last 20 years, and we thought as we head into uh, completing our second decade, starting our third, that it'd be really good to remind all of you friends that have joined us over the last number of years exactly how God built this. And he didn't do it with buildings. He didn't do it with um, charismatic personalities. He didn't do it with programs. He did it with people that were completely yielded to him. As I looked at what we were gonna do as we talked about this series, and um, the ways that we were gonna tackle major building blocks, pillars that have uh, strengthened us and have influenced and informed everything that we have done over these last 20 years that has become this thing that you're walking into, this people that you are gathering with. It's important that you know that when you are welcomed here uh, to our different places, we don't say welcome to Watermark. Watermark is not a place, it's a people. We can't welcome you uh, to a place. What we can say is welcome to this gathering of the people of God in this community in Dallas and Fort Worth and Plano and Frisco. This is a gathering right here where we're together to encourage each other, to remind each other what is true. Um, we famously have ripped down the words worship center on the places that we gather in our large gathering because we don't want you to think that these rooms are our worship centers. This is the worship center. Any place that somebody who knows God walks and and abides with him, that's the worship center. This is called stage one on all of our campuses. It's our largest stage where we can gather and communicate to one another and remind each other. I like to call these rooms the R&R because we come in here to remind ourselves of the greatness of God and to remember how we wanna respond to the greatness of his love for us. These are weekly pastor's conferences. These are gatherings of his people and we welcome folks who don't know him yet or who are not yet part of this community of priests and pastors to be in here with us, that you might hear us talk about the greatness of God so you would come to know him, or that you might see us responding to him and you would want to join us in living a life of great faithfulness. But as I thought about what we were gonna do each of these weeks, um, I was not happy with something that was kind of lacking uh, inside each of my intended uh, topics. And I also wasn't wild about the fact that I wanted to talk about this one thing, but I knew it needed to be addressed somehow. And so as I wrestled it, I came up with a solution. And I think you're gonna be encouraged and bothered all at the same time. 
So one of the things that happens when you get to my life stage, I, as you know, um, uh, many of you who've been around here for very long know that I'm a, a dad of six kids, and my kids now are largely out of the home. Um, I have two in college, three that are out of the house, married, and parents themselves. And one that's still with me in the home, he happens to be a freshman in high school, but I'm at a, a life stage where some people look at the Wagner clan and um, they just go, hey, Todd, Alex, you guys seem to have done a decent job or something you know, um, good has happened there. Your kids love each other. They, they, they largely love you. They, they all uh, radically seem to be pursuing this Jesus. I was so encouraged this morning to get a text from one of my kids and saying, Dad, you remember that thing we looked at? It was three years ago. I completely forgot. He goes, can you help me remember where that was? I want to share it with some friends this morning. And as he was just trying to spur others on, um, I was spurred on to go back and remember what we did in July of 2015 together. And my kids are, are just kind of on the journey with us. And sometimes people say to me, um, Todd, would you just talk to us a little bit about parenting? And so I go, yeah. And so what I did is I kind of put together in my mind over the years kind of four major principles when I'm talking about parenting. I'm going to share them with you really quick. And I think you're going to see why I'm going to do what I'm going to do this morning. So whenever somebody asks me to talk about parenting and I have a short amount of time, I kind of spit off these four things. And because I'm an idiot and I want to remember them, um, parenting starts with a P, so I came up with four Ps. Here are the four things I always tell folks. If you want to be a good parent, you've got to have a plan. You don't just happenstance. You don't fall into um, successful, intentional uh, human development. So I always say, don't get intimidated. Don't try and uh, go, by the time my kids are 10, they're gonna know classical Greek and have led all the read all the classics, right? They're gonna, they're gonna memorize the Psalms. I mean, listen, that's not a bad idea if you can pull it off, okay? But about the third time you try and do a 45-minute family devotional with a bunch of three and five and six-year-olds, you're gonna just, you know, cash out right there. But you wanna have a plan, right? Um, extraordinary kids don't come from ordinary homes, Ordinary homes don't just kind of let things fall their way. I just tell people, come up with something that you intend to do. Start simply and simply start. We have a plan for our fitness, a plan for our eating. We have a plan for how to develop our careers. We have a plan for our retirement. Most folks do. And we don't have a plan for the most precious stewardship in life that God has given us. The ability to give birth to and shape to eternal humanity made in the image of God. So develop a plan. One of the things I love about this place is that um, if you want to partner with other parents, we help new moms, okay, in, in square one. We've got um, a ministry called Nest that helps moms develop a plan. We've got ministries for dad called Dad You. We have a blog, watermark.org slash parenting, where you can get weekly tips from other parenters, parents that are... Um, are giving you ideas about their plan, and you can learn from them. We have resources online, so get a plan. Start simply and simply start. Secondly, in addition to have a plan, I always tell people that this is probably the number one rule of parenting, uh, be present. You must be present to win. You cannot influence somebody else that you don't have a relationship with that you're not present with. When Jesus, in fact, wanted to make disciples, he didn't call them to a lecture. In Mark chapter three, it says, that when Jesus selected his 12, he called them that they may be with him. And you can have a great plan, but if your plan is to advance your career and to travel and to be gone and not be present, not be home, not be at family meals, not be there at bedtime, not be involved in their life and their games, then you will not do an effective job of shepherding the life of a child. You must be present to win. 
Thirdly, you gotta be a parent. Your kids don't need a buddy. They don't need a friend. They don't need a peer, they need a parent. They need a mother and they need a father. They need somebody who's gonna love them, who understands um, sacrifice, who understands a call um, to responsibility, who isn't tied up in giving their kids blessings so much that when their kids need some, um, something pulled from them that they're not so anxious to give it to them because they love the idea of sharing this with their kid that they can't deny them that right in that moment. They need a parent who says no who's willing to um, do what the scripture says, you know, is, which, which is to say, listen, we're not like every other parent. We are aliens and strangers in this land. So just because all your friends have cell phones, just because everybody else is doing this, it doesn't mean you should. I was having a conversation with my freshman this week, and, and uh, I just looked at him, I go, bro, do you understand the principle of delayed gratification? Do you know what delayed gratification is? And you'd have thought I was asking a third grader what the Pythagorean theorem was. I go, go ask Alexa what delayed gratification is. <laughs> and so he walked over to that, you know, uh, Homeland Security spying device that's in our home. <laughs> and Alexa had no idea what delayed gratification was. And so I sat him down, right? And I just said, let me tell you what delayed gratification is. You gotta be a parent. Your kids need an adult. And then fourthly, if um, that adult that's present, if their plan is not to be radically involved with Jesus Christ, it doesn't really matter what you do. Your kids are gonna learn to love what you love and do what you do. Kids fairly, uh, rarely fail, often fail to do what you say, but they rarely fail to do what you do. You gotta be a passionate follower of Christ. Uh, I, I have shared with you before that one of the things I did all the time is I um, would give my kids a parenting survey. I mean, I would, it's just, I would just ask them questions. I would write them down. There'd be a series of questions that were on the survey. I'd make them up every time they'd be different. Like, hey, what was your favorite memory from this last year? If you could do anything with your dad this next year that you think would be really fun, what would it be? What fear do you have that you aren't really sure you can share with somebody? What do you wish God made different about you? If you could go anywhere on a fun little trip inside our community, where would you go? What's something you wanna learn this next year? And so I'll just make up different questions, right? Um, you know, what do you like more? Frozen yogurt, okay? Homemade ice cream uh, or, you know, uh, Bahama Buck slushies, right? And then I would just, at some point over the year, I would take them before the next survey and I would just do something with them along that regard. I would ask a survey, but all those questions were fluff and they were always there so I could ask one question that showed up every single time I did a survey. It was always buried in there, it wasn't in the same place, but the question I always put in there is, hey, what is your dad most passionate about? That's why I asked the question and all these different things, is I wanted to know what did my kids think I was most passionate about? Because if they said um, my job, if they said watermark, if they said um, I was most passionate about college football, I'm most passionate about fitness, I'm most passionate about uh, keeping a car clean, I don't know what they might have put down their grades, their appearance, my reputation, if they put anything down there on an answer to that question other than, Dad, you're most passionate about following God, remembering his goodness, honoring him, being attentive to his word, then I knew whatever I was doing in my presence as a parent, that my plan was gonna be ineffective. I wanted my kids to know that the thing that I was most passionate about was knowing and enjoying God and declaring his glory to everybody that I met and having it impact my life. 
And so those are the four things I typically say. Now, look, you look at that, and you're kind of like, really? When you said four Ps, I was sure there was going to be another P on there. And there really kind of is. Okay, but if somebody comes up to you and says, Todd, what should I do as I try and disciple another person? And I just go, well, you should pray. You're going to be like, okay, good, thank you. I appreciate the fact that you said pray, right? Because, of course, we should pray, right? We pray before everything. Um, there are some people who get mad at me every week. How come you don't pray before you speak? Why don't we pray more in the midst of a service? I mean, we don't start anything. We don't start city council meetings still by and large without some ceremonial prayer. And when you ask, uh, when people ask you, hey, how do I parent? If you don't say prayer, you're messed up. Well, Todd, you didn't really say prayer. Well, that's because I don't want to lose you by just having you kind of sit there, take notes. Like, the first thing you got to do is pray because somebody's going to just kind of elbow their wife and go, okay, when he's done talking about the obligatory prayer thing so he sounds spiritual, let me know when he goes to the second piece so I can take notes. Because, of course, you pray. Or what somebody does, they go through their four Ps like I just did, and then they add this at the end. And of course, all four of those things have got to be constantly informed by and laced with prayer. It's like we, we talk about prayer, like it's like, yeah, this thing we've got to talk about, but do we really do it? Or we just go back and we kind of add it on like, oh yeah, and don't forget to pray. But prayer is one of those things that if I told you how God built this was prayer, you go, yeah, 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 that's what every church says. But I want to tell you something, that's not just what we say, it is true. And here's what you need to understand. I don't care so much about people being involved in the activity of prayer as I do people continually living with an attitude of prayer. I'll say it this way, that I, I don't really get too worked up about being committed to being on their knees as I am absolutely committed to having people being on their feet prayerfully. I don't care if people are on their knees praying as much as I care about the fact that they're continually on their feet prayerfully. There is in scripture two different ways to look at prayer. One is the activity of prayer. You see this in Luke chapter 11, verse one. It says that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And then it says, after he had finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Like you in that place right there were praying. He was in the activity of prayer and his disciples saw him actively praying and they go, teach us to do what you're doing that's over there. That's the activity of prayer. You see the same thing in Mark chapter one, verse 35, where he says, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went to a secluded place and was praying there, the activity of praying there. But one of the problems with the activity of prayer is when we say amen, we get up off our knees, out of our prayer closet, done with our quiet time, we kind of now charge into the day. It's kind of like I had my good breakfast and now I can go to work and use the energy of praying. And that is a problem. When the activity of prayer supplements or substitute itself for the ongoing abiding, that's one of those words that we all talk about, we don't really know what it means, but when the activity of prayer kind of pulls us out of the constant attitude of prayer, there is a problem. Because what Jesus did continually is remain with the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. Not just when I'm in the activity of prayer, but everything I do, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart are constantly acceptable to God. I am running everything I do through this grid of God, what do you want? Not my will, but your will be done right now. Not your will is that I pray a little bit and then get busy without you, but I remain with you continually. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. So the attitude of prayer shows up in scripture this way. In 1 Thess 5, 17, there's this word that says, pray without ceasing. 
Like, what's that mean? Am I on my knees all the time? Of course not. It's talking about the attitude of prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says to us right there, it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times, the scripture says, in the spirit. And this way you'll be on the alert and you'll persevere for the petition of all the saints. So we're to pray at all times in, in just the sense that, hey God, um, what is controlling me, what is directing my life in this moment is how I can glorify you and enjoy you by being obedient to your will and way because I realize that my will and way is always gonna end in trouble. So even when I'm not in the activity of prayer, I wanna be attitudinally surrendered to you. It's what the scriptures mean when it says be filled with the spirit, be continually being controlled by the love and the goodness of God and intimately walk with him in all things. Don't be controlled by anger or lust, but by the love of God. Let it constrain you. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stay on the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And on that law, what's God want? Day and night, meditate on it. How should I respond to this person? How do I respond to this pain? How do I respond to this trial? Watermark was built on prayer. And I'm not talking about this. When we first met, listen, literally, in 1999, before we actually launched, we gathered together as friends who looked and we didn't really see a place that we could invite people to and, and just welcome them to with great joy and just say, gather with us as we abide with Jesus in this community. We got friends together and this is the watermark. This is like week two or three or four of watermark when eight friends invited about eight more friends. Let's just start praying together. The activity of prayer begun and then we got done with the activity of prayer and we said, let's all live prayer for this week. Let's encourage other people to come. Hey, at my house this Wednesday night, we're gonna gather friends and we're gonna get in the room. We're gonna talk about what God wants his people to be in a city. And we would do coffees where we would prayerfully discuss what God wanted his community of people in Dallas, Texas to live like. And we looked at the scriptures and we prayerfully spoke to one another and encouraged one another. Prayer, activity, prayerful living. Community of saints praying, community of saints living. Talking about what the church should be, what a community of Christ's followers do. It's what Jesus said we have to do if we're gonna be successful for him as his people. This is the problem with most of the church and most of America, is it's got, come and listen to me, church. Come to the church, the building, the place for an hour and do church with us for an hour. And I'm just telling you, that's not how Watermark was built and it's not how Watermark is gonna finish its second decade and go into its third. We want to be the church. We don't want people to come to the church gathering. We want the church to gather, to prayerfully be reminded who God wants us to be. And so we have to continually spur each other on. We have to sometimes go through the activity of prayer where we meditate on God's word and remind ourselves of things that God wants because most people think prayer is this chain we pull to ring in heaven and get his attention to go, do you see what's happening on earth? Can you change what's happening on earth? That's not prayer. Prayer is not getting earth's will done in heaven. Prayer is meditating on heaven's will so we can live the way God wants us to on this earth that is still gonna have sickness and death and disease. And so we gotta remind ourselves of things that are true, prayerfully. And Jesus says, hey, church, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, the church was just beginning to meet. He says, but you will receive power. 
The word is dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. You're gonna blow that place up, man. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall then be my witnesses. Right there in your own little city and the larger county and then in the larger region and all over the world, man. Something's gonna happen through you because you are gonna blow it up. You're gonna go into the darkness and become light. You're gonna go into the decay and be preserving salt. You're gonna be my people if you live prayerfully when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, how's that happen, Todd? It happens when you trust in Jesus who pays the debt that separated you because of sin from God. He bridges the gap and you now walk with him and you restore Eden that was lost because you're with God and you no longer do what you think is good and avoid what you think is evil. You trust in the God who is good and you say, not my will, but your will be done continually. You don't go to an action of prayer. You begin to live prayerfully. And when the Holy Spirit, when you see the goodness and beauty of God is all that matters, you are attentive to his will and way and you begin to live in fellowship and then even sometimes in your fellowship with a gathering of other believers who know the goodness of God, you do things that aren't what God wants you to do and so you prayerfully respond to your sin and you seek forgiveness from one another and you extend grace to one another and you confess what you just did wasn't consistent with prayerful living with one another and you spur each other on and you become his church. This is what Paul said when Paul was kind of writing down. There's one place in scripture that really is, is the, the main um, beginning missionary leader in the early church after Jesus was a guy named Paul. And in, Acts chap excuse me, in Colossians chapter one, verse 28 and 29, Paul said this. It says, we proclaim him. We talk about the goodness and beauty of God. We admonish every man, every human is the idea, male and female. We teach every male and female, every human, with all wisdom that we get from God, not from us. It's not Todd giving his best ideas. And his four Ps are only good if they're informed by what God has produced to preserve for us. And we teach every man with all wisdom so that we might present every human, every man and woman that we're near, complete in Christ. Watch this, Paul says, for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power. My prayerful living, as Jesus operates in me, as I decrease that he might increase, something amazing is going to happen in my Jerusalem. Watermark wasn't just built on the foundation of prayer. Prayer is the entirety of the work. It is the foundation, it's the fiber, it's the mortar, it's the maintenance program of this place. And even when I'm not in the activity of prayer, if I'm doing anything useful to God, it is because I am living prayerfully. And anytime there's conflict and anytime there is tension that I'm causing, it's because I am not living prayerfully. But here's what we're gonna do. We're going to pray. We're not gonna teach on prayer. We're gonna talk about how we built this. And so today, we're gonna do two things. If you are a member of Watermark, and you go, wait a minute, Todd, I thought today was the day we started telling people that Watermark has zero members. Every January, we've got zero members. We wanna find out again who wants to prayerfully live with us in obedience to Jesus because of the glory of God's love expressed through the cross and all of our imperfection. We're gonna just say, God, we love you. We see your kindness for us and we wanna to respond to it. And so what we do is we just all re-up every year. If you have been through the membership class where we talk about what it means biblically 
to prayerfully obey him. And you have then said, this is gonna be the small community of friends where you've got at least three other members of Watermark that you're committed to, where you're tied in to a shepherd or a staff person that is probably just one or two degrees of separation separated from me. If you're in a community group and been through membership class and you have deployed your gifts for the work of ministry, which is what every member of the body of Christ is to do, then you're a member of Watermark, and you know who you are, okay? Now, you need to fill out the 4B form before the end of January. You're telling us, not this year, I'm done. I'm moving on to other things. And we'll encourage you, and we'll love you in every way that we could. And so what I want to say to you is that um, if you're one of those members, I'm about to ask you to leave and do what we did, believers, in the early days of Watermark. Not believers, but members. We're going to give you the 1999 prayer guide. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to watermark.org slash prayer, and there's two prayer guides that are there. One of them is the 1999 prayer guide that we used every week to pray as we began the work, the activity. The other one is praying through um, our 4B form, our, the, our, our, our desire to help others believe in Christ as believers in Christ, who then will belong to his body and be trained in truth that we might be strong in a life of ministry and worship. They're both there, every one of you can get it. When you walk out dispersed all around the campus, uh, in a minute, in each of the campuses, I'm gonna let you go. You'll see that there are people out there to hand those things to you. And in fact, what I wanna do right now is we're gonna let each of the campuses go, okay? And then your uh, local leadership is gonna take over and explain how you can do it in your campus. So um, we're gonna have times of prayer and a coffee. So we'll see you, Fort Worth, Frisco, and Plano in just a moment. And online, folks, you can go to watermark.org prayer and see what we're doing, and the rest of you stay here with me.